Hey, 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 it's not Fat Albert, but it's Osiris. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, something, again, a lot of people ask me about. Um, more specifically, because I just recently made my symbol, which is my name with all the... It's a symbol for my name. So, um, you, you'll probably be seeing that a lot. And... I figured I would go ahead and talk a lot about the symbology um, in the human existence and here in the United States and uh, the power behind it. You'd be very surprised at what symbols can do. Um, No words, just these symbols. We'll go over about 16 of them uh, and kind of break them down and and do some history of it. So, if you know, like, if you walk outside and look around, you'll see that the entire world runs on symbols, and it's not like a minute goes by, and that we don't expect to see some of these symbolic messages um, that have the potential really to get under your skin, make you pissed, um, or it could be a reoccurring dream. It could be a, uh, you know, you could have side glance, not at side boob, but at, you know, a side glance at a tattoo or something that, uh, catches your eye that, um, you know, has some kind of familiarity to it. Um, the icons on your computer, uh, your damn memes, um, Brand logos, store signs, text messages, you got emotion, emojis, <clears throat> you name it, it's there. There are symbols everywhere, everywhere and everything. I've seen the future, people. It is going back to hieroglyphics. So, And when I say hieroglyphics, I mean symbolic, uh, pictorial language. I mean, we're already at emojis, so. There's um, no escaping, really, these symbols um, in this world, basically, because everything's... So how how do we really know how a symbol affects us? We can become more aware of the power and the controlling influences they have on behavior and motivation, and that's by starting by listening to this talk, okay? Psychological, psychological, symbolic. Now, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to give you a 16 or so, maybe a little less. Um, Inspirational, I guess, but um, from everywhere from the ancient to the modern, um, Including, you know, of course, I'm going to throw in, you know, things from different dimensions or not fully explained by science, if you will. Anyway, many of these symbols transcend human uh, meaning and lead up uh, to a wild, wild, wild place. No, Um Lead us really deep into the world of the sublime more than anything. So it's a good band there also. Um, now, I wouldn't be, uh, you know, Leo and myself 
if I wasn't going to start off with the number one symbol. <laughs> and everybody in unison. That's right. The all-seeing eye. Now, the eye of Ra, the eye of, you can name it, the eye of Horus, they call it. They call it the eye of Ra. They call it Wajit. W-A-D-G-J-E-T or A-T or Yudajat. I don't know how that's actually said, but it can be traced back down, <coughs> back to the ancient Egyptians, of course. And it's, rec it's recognized as a symbol um, of protection and royal power and good health. Um, a lot of people don't, they just see it and they, they don't know why they're attracted to it. Uh, this symbol has so many different representations as it went through time. So it's like words when they have so many different meanings. Now, truly, the Eye of Horus is a representation of the biological third eye. If you guys are familiar with uh, your brain, but you're probably not too familiar with it inside your brain. But... Um, the third eye is also known significantly as the penile gland. And if you're smoking DMT and doing good, right things, then you'll know what that is. Um, and that's located right near the center of the human brain, right in the center for you guys. And it looks literally like a little eye. Now, that penile gland is where it regulates sleep and waking life, waking life things so um yeah powerful little fucker the penile gland is believed supposedly to be the gateway to the spiritual connections and intuition now again if you've ever done dmt you know what we're talking about if you've done ketamine or any of this mushrooms those are some fun guys and some lysergic some acid you know you've got to chance to peek in a little bit to maybe the spiritual connection and the gateway that it uh, took to get there. It's not like gateway drugs, you know. It's a gateway like the DMT when you smoke that and you go through your little cellophane-like curtain is what I call it. So everything starts crackling as you walk through this like cellophane curtain. You dematerialize and, and you end up in a geometric landscape of color like sitting room it's very you see colors that you've never seen before you have your eyes shut of course because these stupid people doing it with their eyes open you're supposed to do it with your eyes shut please okay and it's called the third eye okay because literally not only is it a pattern but it is and has the attributes of the human eye including the cornea, the retina, and the other um, represents the nerves and typically how it responds to light. But it is still a mystery to science as to why this gland with optical receptors, okay, optical receptors would be placed where there's no light would exist. Now think about that, y'all. We don't need light to see in the darkness you will see as a truly is ancient mystics believe that the third eye <clears throat> eye lens 
could be beyond this physical reality. Um, any of the Sikhs out there, you know, they always have their little, little eye on there. Uh, any of the... But some of them pop out, come out the skin. They want to get out. Now, they have something called the Eye of Providence, which they consider the, to be the eye. Uh, it represents the eye of God. Um, and we're all God, so we're, some of us are. Um, but anyway, the God as in a singular divine power um, that gave birth to the universe, which wasn't the great mantity that birthed the girth to birth. No, birth to earth. The symbol is also all, uh, often reflected vis-a-vis -a, -vis a human, I guess, a human eye closed in a triangle surrounded by clouds uh, or bursts of light in Christianity. They, you know, make that as the uh, Holy Trinity and the benevolent entity that watches over humanity and divine guidance, which is crap. But, um, yeah, that's the pyramid and I. So, We've got it on our, there's, it's on the money of the United States. Yes, it's too bad because it's going away. Ha ha ha. We shut that one. It's also important in Freemasonry as uh, a Mason. We, we use that. Uh, it's a symbol that is often uh, presented with a semi-circular, like glory, under the eye, like the, the rays come out from under the eye, not specifically over it. Um, and a lot of times, like I said, in a triangle. It, with us in the Masons, it refers to the all-powerful God as the grand architect of the entire universe. Okay? And the symbol that reminds every one of us, all the brothers, uh, every Mason to be mindful of their own thoughts and deeds that they are being observed by God at all times. And I think I got that correct. That whole, like, um, Mara will be able to tell me if I if I got that quote. Like, wow, that, that went back in time. Okay, anyway, moving along. In, 19, um, what was it, 1782, that, that eye of providence uh, was added to the reverse side of the Great Seal for the United States. Okay. Now, on the approved version by, I forgot who actually approved these things, but the eye floats above the unfinished uh, pyramid. It has 13 steps, symbolizing the original 13 colonies for the nation. Okay. And then it held over it and watched it all. Like, Saragot, oh, what was that in The Hobbit? You know, we'll get to that. Now, many of the founding fathers, not all, also being Masons, okay, most of them are Freemasons, um, they're supposedly believed to have hidden um, esoteric meaning um, in plain sight everywhere around uh, certain places, including uh, symbols of control, symbols of motivation and elements of anywhere in the mo elements of modern civilization we do find these uh without um, a light currency so you will see um 
if you look at the map of Washington, D.C., it's the whole thing is a Mason symbol. The Freemasons and other secret societies such as, uh, we won't go into other secret societies, but um, they view the mind as a powerful tool, okay, with the capability of under uh, unlocking and un underlying meanings uh, behind all things in the material world. And you can do that through patterns, people. And look at that. I'm a pattern person. Uh, so what we're going to talk about now is the um, this tool that we have that we saved our lives in the material world. We have to obtain mastery over it. So you have to master it. To understand the development of civilization itself and its structure, you're... You, you need to only travel, I don't know, maybe back to the ancient Sumerians, if you can, you know, get a hold of that. And the system preserved in the first of the writings, and this was before, 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 and it was called uh, cuneiform text, okay? And now if anybody has got a nod in their head like they know what this means, it's good for you. The ancient Sumerians considered the creators of the world or the aliens or the um, whatever you want to call them. Um, they report they were reported to have uh, ancient wisdom from mystical gods they called. Come on. The Anu, yeah, the Anukia. And everybody usually knows that word. And that being really. Now, the Sumerians were the first ones to really use pictures as words. Okay. They're cuneiform tablets. Okay. From ancient Mesopotamia or some of the oldest that we have. And there's a great quote that we I like to use. it. It's called, the shepherds rule over the sheep. By taking control of the farms, the churches, the temples, and the kingdom. That's how the lion rules. So, that's the shepherd. That is the, whatever. You can make your decision what you want to be, a sheep or a shepherd. Now, it is quite a non-secret, if you will, what we call today the economy and religion and government. And the fourth estate of the news media have uh, near complete control over you. Okay, your behaviors, your motivations, uh, your belief systems. If you don't think this is true, then you come and listen right now because I'm going to prove it to you. Try, I mean, just try to go out and live in the city without money for two weeks. Okay, just, just give it a shot. I can do it. People that know how to survive can do it. Now I'm going to go back in a history lesson here. Because while we're talking about the also in the eye, the direct, one of the largest multimedia uh, TV channels that we have here in the United States is what I also saying that they are watching you while you sit and have dinner and 
your family dinner every night, whatever. It was in 1951 that uh, the CBS I logo made its debut, okay? Now, do you think that 1950-51 was a coincidence? Because we don't believe in coincidences here. It made its debut, uh, debut on the television, anyway. Um, and the, the creative director, or maybe it was a director, I'm not sure. His name was Bill Golden. He's the one that found his... Um, found this and put this up he found supposedly found his inspiration for this um while driving through pennsylvania like the dutch county and uh he was intrigued by you know hex symbols that were drawn on the shakers barns and they were actually wiccan basically i think basically wiccan to ward off spirits so you know Now, these, like I said, uh, that's right as at CBS, you know. So that symbol, that eyes, symbolizes the Almighty to keep watch over His own creation. He we're an experiment and watching it. Symbols are a language. Um, they are the language of the subconscious mind, if you will. And I know that sounds weird, but through that part of us that dreams or um, though we're not fully, uh, it's not fully understood that they are believed to act as a set of instructions, okay? It's the best way I can put it, a set of instructions that put the subconscious mind to work, okay? Um, I see patterns which are symbol, it can be sim symbols also. So, uh, it's the coming together of the, the number of the times you see it. But it's three. I guess you could have different ones, but for me, it's a pattern in mathematics. It's a pattern in three. Now, the subconscious mind will work at all, at all times. And an underlying message with that that was either taught by someone or through your own personal experiences, you're going to start to see um, or not see, depending on how the subconscious is working for you. The most commonly known use of symbo symbology was, I believe, um, proposed by Sigmund Freud, which I don't like to give him all the credit because... Um, and his mentions of dream analysis, which, to be honest with you, I had—I mean, that is what the books would say. They say that, but I can't get on board with it. I have to—I have to say that I don't know about that. He didn't have a spiritual side to him. He was only scientific, so. I can't really see that being very well-rounded. Maybe a Jungian, you know, he had a spiritual side, much well-rounded. And but the the dream analysis, Freud called this these dreams. Uh, but he called the dreams something. He called them the royal road to the subconscious. And he felt supposedly that their biggest function 
was to reveal to us underlying wishes. Another thing I do not totally agree with because, and I'm just quoting what they, what he said, but I'm not saying that's correct. I just want you to know that I know if you don't know. So, um, but his wishes, uh, that's wishes. Like I wish I had this, I wish I had that. Um, no, no. Now, while dreams to, I am in charge of the dreams, um, especially mine, and they are subconscious mind trying to fix the problems in the, the, the conscious world that you haven't fixed yet. That's all. There's symbolic of that. This, uh, now, we, we, like Mr. Jung and Carl, Carl Jung, you know, who also knew Freud as a, like, personally, it was, uh, it was a weird relationship, I'm sure. But a good one is they were both, you know, very influential. He develops his own s symbology, but from a different direction. This is what I'm talking about. When I say a different direction, is yeah. Young, Young didn't, I'm on Young's side. Like, he didn't agree with Freud's structure of the unconscious at all. Like, as well as I don't truly like the whole thing. But I, he, I do, we, we do believe in the psychic symbols. And what that is, is uh, Jung devised an entire um, concept of archetypes. We went over these um, earlier on in the talks when we were talking about the um, ego and the personas. Okay, that's what that was speaking of. That concept of archetypes, images, and the concept of the whole universal uh, meaning being derived from a shared past um, of humanity. And we call that the collective unconscious. That's what he called it. We will call it, you know, if it's the monads, and then it's the, you know, we, we're of mind, and we're all of one mind, or one energy, or one. You can put any name on it, really. A collective unconscious, whatever. Young, Young believed that um, certain universal memories, if you will, um, he believed those were a real thing, um, all, like which is totally true, um, and that these images were shared as a part of a collective uh, evolution. So um, if we notice a symbol that we don't know that we know, but we know we know it, or it's familiar, but we've never seen it, this kind of thing. Because Jung had these, these archetypes or symbols, um, as they are unconscious ones, okay, so it's a lot different than the other one, they tend to arise uh, and to be pulled out by, like, art. Um, and when I say art, um, they you would see it in art. You would see it in religion. You would see it in mythology. Stories of old, ancient stories, um, and he said in our dreams. Now, until the, until each individual person would make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life, and you will call it fate, or you'll call it coincidence, or you'll call it karma. But. We need to make our unconscious conscious people. Let's do it.
But then we have to go and talk about something here in the United States. And one of the biggest, uh, you know, most renowned uh, signs that we know of is the Hollywood sign. I mean, they just put it up on a big hill. Now, I don't know, even people living out there probably don't know some of the history behind this. And of course, I'm going to bring up the dock. And, uh, it's the wood. I got wood. <laughs> the wood of the holly tree was used by the ancient druids, okay, to make magic wands. What? Okay. One has to wonder now whether the entertainment industry itself has hidden its purpose in plain sight. Like your drug use, you should be doing it on the dance floor, not in the bathroom. Do it in, hide in plain sight, night on signal, because that's where they're looking for people that are hiding. I tell you, people have to get, get, get thinking differently. It is not a mere coincidence that the Hollywood shares the name, that Hollywood itself, okay, like Hollywood, shares its name with a tool that the ancient Druids used to cast spells with. Fancy that. Now, Druids, if you don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, Druids and those who practice the witchcraft believe that holly trees possess magical powers. Okay, the entertainment industry is in a business of creating imaginary worlds that motivate us to consume their own creations in mass. And they probably made over, I don't know, $11 billion last year. Um, the steady stream of heroes and villains um, continue to be exported at a great success around the world, um, be it the you know, whatever series they have, be it the comics or whatever, um, they will actually, they will actually undoubtedly shape what we perceive to be as reality. That's why we have shootings in schools, if you don't believe that that's true, okay? That's video games, people. That is, uh, that is something that they're watching, not now, we're going to go back to the little bit of the history of this Hollywood, um, if I can remember what the date is now that I'm thinking about it. Does, uh, now, the first Hollywood blockbuster ever released was back in 1915. Um, it was called, of course, Birth of a Nation. You know, imagine that. And originally, it wasn't called that. Anybody know what it was called? No, it was called the Klansman. And it wasn't just the Klansman. They still have a lasting impact on America's collective racist psyche. Okay, still have it. Through all its hidden meaning from, you know, you name it. Yeah, I won't go too many into those because we all know them. Now, when you successfully get a symbol to be associated with a specific feeling or an intention or and intentions, you got it. Okay. Now, I tried this. It was successful. Um, a few different occasions from 
not originally doing it with Flat Stanley, but doing it with him, uh, coming up with my own word that they were, um, then doing a, you know, titty sprinkles and whatnot. But this was all because I was chasing how these symbols catch on and why. Um, many beliefs supposedly that the um, it's it's the reason of the ancients thought that this power should be kept a secret. I mean. It would make sense that a hidden understanding that humanity itself could potentially destroy itself if it used these powers and didn't know what the proper spiritual um, maturity level was to be able to be able to use them. And, you know, it's pretty much almost happened like that. So, um, you know, the SS symbol for the Nazis, um, that's a big one, I'll tell you. When a symbol, like I said, those are the three major things. When it's successful at being associated, okay? When I say that, that means associated with specific feelings. You're taking a symbol and you're making it being associated with a feeling. When I say SS or the swastika, you get a certain feeling. That's what I mean. Okay? Now, when the great question about does life imitate art or art imitate life and they've what advertisers themselves had raised this type of social engineering um, to a science actually they got it down to a science it's amazing how they do that whether it's a political flag that we're waving you know um, that represents a social ideal a corporate logo that motivates us to click purchase or a spiritual symbol um, that reflects the most important values in our lives. The cross, if you're a Catholic, uh, you know, whatever symbol is ahead of your religion, which is bad. Um, they have a direct effect on everything from our attitudes, from our behaviors, and even our life's choices, we went over this in um, the, the, the one about worldview, okay? And most of the time that it has this power over it, we're not even realizing that it's doing it. And we'll realize it and remember it if somebody actually tells us about it, like I'm doing right now. So that's what I'm doing right now. So corporate logos, we'll go through some of them. Now... Thinking about which ones to do is uh, just doing them gives them power. Now, brand logos have, not, it's not like a new phenomena. Uh, the ancient Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans and the Chinese all stamped their goods with some kind of symbol, um, be it from their drugs to bricks of pottery, bags of herbs, um, symbols were um, to indicate who made them okay who made them if you've been a consumer of a certain brand of for a long term or a long time you've likely to fall in to see that the uh, symbol on their you know different devices for a long period of time now you could eat now, i'm a big mcdonald's eater if i can i will um, you could surely eat somewhere else, right? Like Burger King, but it sucks. 
Um, some were healthier, but those who choose McDonald's all the time. The question is, why do you choose? I do it because of the fries. And I like the, the quarter pounder or Royal L with cheese for you metrics. Um, and maybe we find the golden arches familiar with a nice, comforting, warm kind of like, is that an unconscious reminder of early childhood memories when we used to eat those fries and they were just like comfort food? That's why it goes back that far. It's that strong. And it's the smell, like that smells when it brings back the memory the most and the quickest and the clearest. Now, I hate to have to talk about some of my favorite. These are a few of my favorite things when the dog but McDonald's then goes hand in hand with the Coca-Cola, okay? Now, corporate logos are essentially symbols that methodically facilitate whatever their meaning is and point of view, and they get it through through advertising. That is why when you see a company's logo, they are seeking a reaction. A reaction that's emotional. They want you to feel something, not just see something. And it has to be emotionally charged. That reaction could be a trusting feeling, a thoughtful feeling, a happiness, a comfort, um, of any emotional feeling that it can attach to. Positively being better, of course. Um, advertisers spend a great deal of money and a great deal of time in uh, shaping their message, okay, as I did mine. Um, and it came from something that I didn't even make up. So that's how it... To get it right is to... Uh, the difference between, like, a McDonald's and a Burger King. It's that different. For when it registers psych in your psyche and your unconscious, and it does it unconsciously, you are no longer do you have the power to think about it. The feeling is automatic. You don't even know your brain's doing it. And that can be a scary, scary thing, people. Because your brain, see, like if you realize these talks, I've said that a couple times, and that's there's a lot of it doing that. Back in 1885, Coca-Cola, that's how long ago it was, was first introduced, okay? That's a long time ago. And it was introduced as a miracle remedy um, that contained cocaine, you know? It has some cocaine in it. You want to do this cocaine? Yeah, a bunch of people running around sniffing cocaine out of their Coca-Cola, okay? And the substance was a very common ingredient back then in patients' medicines, Um so when it was first revealed that cocaine had could be extremely harmful, okay, just like you know, they figured this stupid crap out. Uh, but everything's bad for you. The chemists at Coke, them, like there, did everything they could to um, remove every single trace of it from the beverage. But caffeine was not added until shit. Um, it was a while. It was, um, I don't know when it was. It wasn't introduced until commercially by Masato, I think in 1902, 
something, 1905 maybe. So even though the addictive euphoria had been lifted from the, the drink, the spell, if you will, that came over it uh, still remained. It's like a placebo. Um, Coca-Cola drinkers like myself, that's all I drink, uh, have been uh, hooked um, on the same, I don't know, perception maybe, for more than 150 years. And Coca-Cola is one of the biggest, largest uh, drinks and most recognizable out there. I don't drink it because of that. I drink it because I like it. Um, so, I must ask you, what kills people more? Cocaine or sugar? Huh? Booger sugar? <laughs> um, all too often we see these headlines coming out from Mexico um, on the drug war. Drug-related violence claimed over 100,000 lives. In Mexican lives in the past decade, easy. But it's also worth saying that diabetes, especially type 2, kills an estimated, I would say, I think the, they said it over 70,000. 70, That's goddamn Mexican Coke right there. Like literally and figuratively, Mexican Coke, cocaine, and Coke. They have the real cane sugar, and that's why I like that so much. More than 70% of this population is overweight in the United States, anyway. Um, or obese, or sugar, the, the sugar consumption that is supposedly the perpetrator. And if anybody sees me, they're not going to believe that. They couldn't believe that, but you could believe it in everybody else. I, I don't have an ounce of a little fat on me. Like, um, but 70% is a very large number. Most of the added sugar in the Mexican diet comes from sugar by sweetened drinks, okay, because they drink Coke over there, they're popular. And Coke very much so is at the top of that. It holds a special place in the Mexican existence. Um, and even it's natural. Like I would even say is it's national culture. Um, and it is not really surprising that the former president of Mexico, I forget his name, Vincent Fox, I think the last name was Fox, um, or maybe it was uh, formerly a regional head of the company. So anyway, the yeah, President Fox, head of Coca-Cola, hence why you know. You can see why that's going to go easy. I don't have to go into that. Now, all my family drinks Coke. Well, not, maybe not now anymore, but if you took somebody like um, I don't know, but like the people that drink Coke are very specific to it things we don't like pepsi it's actually too sweet for me and people don't understand that but it's true um but i have a like i i like to have it like you have that like craving for it and with coke it's 
if you don't get a Coke that when you take your first sip and just get it down there and you don't go, ah, and somebody robs you of it. Okay? So that's what you get every first sip of Coke. It's awesome. Now, many people who have spent their entire careers, maybe, in marketing never learned the origins of their profession, okay? But they know that hookers, selling the female body was the first profession of women. Or how it evolved from lesser magic, if you will, uh, in the practices of the ancients. To be fair, Coca-Cola itself is not the only corporation marketing sugary drinks, but the success of the iconic symbols is certainly proof of marketing and spellbinding like power from the little bear that they have on there. It's been hidden in plain sight, as you see. From the average public has been known by secret societies in the mystery schools. This is where I get, we're getting, I'm getting my ontological mathematics. With, it's in the cult, in the occult. For thousands and thousands of years, this has been doing. Now, lesser magic, if somebody doesn't know what that is, and you're not a witch or warlock or a um, practitioner of any sort, it's also, for the, this is what we call an everyday or situational magic. It's the practice of manipulation by means of applied psychology. It's what I do um, when I want to hijack your inner monologue so you hear my voice in your head instead of yours. It's magic. And it's a manipulation by means of applied psychology. And it has the roots in the occult. It just is magic. The author of the book uh, that most people know is the Satanic Bible by Anton Levy. He wrote it as a concept of lesser magic, okay? If you've ever read it, you'll know how stupid it is. But it's not really. It's just lower, lesser. <laughs> um, which it can be accomplished by utilizing the sex sediment of wonder. We have this this place that the guy that wrote it, and they have the like thing out in California, San Francisco. Now, um, one of my favorite like logos or my favorite thing that I wear a lot is we're three stripes forever, baby. You know, Adidas. Now, I know my history of Adidas because I like to know the history of things of which I adorn. Adidas and Beyonce um, actually did... Uh, well, they announced their partnership back in, I think, April 2018, back in the day. Um, with the relaunch of her Ivy uh, Pack, I think, Ivy Park, uh, it was like a, a leisure and apparel brand that she did. Uh, it's weird, but... Um, now, in addition to, like, the utilization of looks, language, scent, Colors, patterns, of course, uh, and odor. The terms, the terms, fascination and glamour that you would get in a magazine, um, have their origins in a world of coercive magic, if you will. 
the word fascination actually comes from the Latin word fascinare, which means to cast a spell upon, whereby the practitioner may alter several elements of the physical appearance in order to aid them in seducing or bewitching an object of desire. It's having a love potion. To, but sex sells people. Okay. Sex sells also. Now, those unaware of the power of symbols, and you're still not quite believing me, and their underlying meanings are the most susceptible that completely blind people can almost see them. But not really. Would they know they were there? I don't think they would know they were there specifically without somebody else's help saying, hey, they see that. These symbols are, uh, these symbols can be by byproducts of our world, okay, like, they are designed to influence people, or not only the people, but our attitudes, our behaviors, our different choices, often without realizing it altogether, that it's happening to you. Now, be clear in your thinking because both uh, angels and demons hear every thought, and every thought is a command. Be careful with them, because the mind is very, very obedient. What that means is, I can tell you something, and the mind will do it without you knowing that it's doing it. And if you dare think that that can't happen, You come and see me face to face, and I'll show you right to your face that I can make you do something that you have no control over by the power of speaking it into existence. It's psychology. It is magic. It is influence. It is the tone of voice. It is what you say, how you say it's very easy. That's what subliminal messages have them. They have, um, if you've seen anybody doing uh, magic, uh, street magic, and they do the influencing of uh, getting a buck like a chicken and all that, that's that's what they're doing. It's suggestion, power suggestion. It's not very strong. It's the weakest of all of the brainwashing techniques or uh, you know, trying to get somebody to do something against their will. Not specifically against their will, but because they can't actually, under the influence of, of hypnosis, actually do something they wouldn't want to do. Um, it's not that strong. So if they don't want to do it, they wouldn't do it. Now, getting back to me for a little bit, um, in my peeps, we talk briefly about the... Egyptian sun disk, which is the sun, basically, with the wings on it, if you remember seeing that. Now, to ancient Egyptians, the winged sun disk, you know, if you will, symbolized the creation and as a source of light and an emblem of rebirth okay, and resurrection. 
That's why I am the... It was worn as a uh, protective talisman back then um, by both the living and the dead to obtain favors from the gods. Yeah, believe it or not. Now, if you remember the symbol of the sun disk, then you probably recognize... What? It's a car company, maybe. <laughs> anyway, the Egyptian sun disk symbol itself has been lifted to reflect brand identities. Um, the meat, uh, like in a lot of different things. So you have your Genesis, which is, uh, well, you don't know about cars. You're not going to really know about that. Uh, Ario Speedwagon used it. Um, Chrysler. I can keep going on. I think Southwest Airlines. All used it. Many of the Egyptian sun gods themselves, that's why they're depicted with this thing on their head, the sun. Um, the solar disk is what they call it. but um, And that reflects the attributes of their gods, including wisdom, stability, whatever, for, foresight, strength, courage. They all believed it to be an inherent uh, symbol of the sun disk talisman. So that's why we got to us. You can tell. Now, popular concepts like freedom, freedom, society, happiness, and success itself have also been captured and transmitted through iconic symbols of which you know. Uh, they often refer to abstract concepts that you wouldn't even like. You wouldn't even put together. And ideals that we actually strive for that we don't even know. But not always do we understand. Uh, it's completely a concrete term and we just don't get it. Um, and I'll give you some more. Like I had a couple more of these uh, examples for you. Um, though another big one as I'm doing my, my website for the ministry and the, the cult on the face side, uh, the sale side, uh, what the public will see, um, uh, what to get grants and everything. I have to have, I got a whole nother side of this cult, so I can't really use it. So anyway, um, it's called, if you've seen it, it's Osiris's Ministries. Yeah. So we had that fundraising aspect, like the Shriners to the Masons. <laughs> Now, the heart itself, which is really, I say, a butt, but <laughs> because I'm an ass man, but it is one of the first things that you learn to draw when you're small. And if you draw dick first, then you're gay. No, that's not the fucking way it works. A heart, and you what, a lesbian? Like, what kind of thought processes are these people? But that's why they always tease you when you're sleeping and they draw a dick on you. Now, the heart shape, it's a heart-shaped box, um, is an ideograph used to really express the idea of what the, now I'm doing air quotes here, the heart is, it's a metaphorical and symbolic sense as a center of emotion, including affection and love. 
So really pain. <laughs> I can know. Um, but the ancient modern philosophers, okay, of nowadays, agreed more or less that the heart itself was linked to our strongest emotions, including expressions of love. That's pretty, pretty serious. Like, it's not the heart that hurts. It's, I don't know if I believe all this. But you can look at it different ways. That's what we're here for. Think differently. But, since probably back in the 19th century, the symbol has of the heart has often been used for Valentine's Day, which we don't celebrate because it's celebration of our adoption day. Um, candy boxes, you know, all that crap. Um, or some kind of romantic love, whatever it is. It's always the heart. I like that. I heart this. I heart that. I heart fucking hating hearts. Uh, since, like I said, uh, that romantic, it's a romantic symbol, I guess, showing romantic. Um, I think it was Milton Glaser. I think that was his name. He's the one that got that I Love New York's thing. And that was in like 77 or something. And he trademarked that logo. That's why the New York State Department, I think, of Economic Development, New York, New York. Now, the, in 1977 was a special time for a lot of this. The heart icon underwent yet another transformation in society, if you will, um, when it became a word that they put in the dictionary. Trust me, I know about my words in the dictionary. When it became a verb, you're like, what? The I love New York logo was created to boost morality for the city that was going through a crisis. I mean, trash was piled up in the streets and there was crime spiking like you'd never believe. And New York was nearly bankrupt at that time. And this is why this came out. This is this is why the artists have the the artists have these powers to make movements. And the higher ups can be scared of that. That's why they always take the art during an insurrection or whatever it is that they're a coup of. Uh, just like the art of the graffiti on the trains. Okay. Now, hired to design an image was a lot of these directors that would increase tourism or graphic design. This Milton Glaser guy, he created the famous logo that extended the heart's meaning beyond its romantic thing, um, the romantic love, uh, to embrace the realm of a civic feeling or bringing together of the civic people. Now, while the heart may only be a metaphor or some synonym, it serves us well for love itself is impossible to define because you can't define it because it's beyond words. It's emotional. 
Now, while we're going down this fucking lovey-dovey shit, why don't we talk about fucking this peace sign, too? So we will. Now, that was 58. The, the modern peace sign was designed by a whole... Uh, George? God damn it. Gerald. Gerald um, Holton. In a British, a British campaign, you know, um, that advocated, I think it was nuclear weapons and freeing the world. I mean, hippie shit, you know, which is great. I like it. We all love it. Now, but I'm going to kind of tear it apart for you because it's not what you think. The vertical line in the center that rep the, it, re it represents uh, that the uh, flag semaphore signal for the letter D. We'll get to that in a second. And the downward lines that go uh, triangularly and, <clears throat> and it hit to the center represents that the, the flag um, semaphore signal for the letter N and D symbolizing basically nuclear disarmament. That's what it like. I have a hard time trying to say that without trying to say it. So that's what it's supposed to be, people. Not very many people know that. The most uh, enigmatic um, symbol represents the conception of God, which attempts to explain something unexplainable. You know, every culture has a different interpretation of this concept. So it changes with some seeing God as a personal entity, if you will, and others seeing him as an impersonal entity representing um, the forces of nature. Okay. It's all interpretation. Now we're going to move along to another one that's a little better than these stupid ones, but... Um, the yin and yang symbol, the black and white, the other half, the it comes from the Chinese culture uh, or philosophy. Uh, the yin and yang is a concept of dualism. Okay, it describes how seemingly opposites may actually be complementary to each other and interconnected, if you will, and interdependent also uh, with the new universe itself created out of this chaos and this material energy everything in the world is not material it's of mind but this symbol is a, one of the better ones well one of the first ones um still what's above is below the whole interconnecting is what's the same but different that that's what i believe that the uh relationships uh, how they'll go you should have a you shouldn't be dating yourself, really. Um, you look you look for a mate that has uh, something to teach you, or it's going to get very boring. Because if they're just like you, they know all about the same things. You're not going to learn anything from them. Now, there is the next one, which is still, I guarantee people don't understand this one. And it's going to be hard for you guys on the podcast over there to they can't see it too but i'm a very good explainer so um the next one is the huna 
or the kahuna as we know it. Is that a kahuna burger? Yes, it is. Well, the kahuna is actually, if you can shut your eyes and let me speak into existence into your third eye, I can tell you what it is. It's the symbol of protection from ancient Hawaii. Now, I don't know what you would think ancient Hawaii symbology is, but it's probably not what you expect. In ancient Hawaiian custom, um, kahuna um, healed and taught in the spirit of vibration and uh, of aloha. This vibration or word or like clickety-clack of spirit manifesting through love. The purpose behind the kahuna uh, reaching was its revelation and truth within the individual. And that's what's so key about what we're saying is it's the individual you have to look upon thyself, fix thyself, look inwards, not outwards. The teaching and principles of Huna are still, uh, I think, taught today over there, especially with the Kahuna message being a direct result. So um, you will notice the word Kahuna, okay, um, similar to Merkaba, if you know what that is. So the Merkaba is kind of like Kahuna which both are transcending the body itself, the physical aspect of it, and uh, and going to a higher frequency. As we've talked, everything's frequency, everything's wave, xenocosine waves. And, and that would go back from the kahuna, I think went all the way back to, well, it's an alchemic symbol, that was used by ancient Egyptian and uh, also in the middle of medieval times. And the, the, it's a line that op- stays open but makes like a, a tunnel of pyramids. You know, kind of. Yeah, I, you've seen it over and over again. Anyway, that's what that is. Now, I'm not going to be able to say all these, but I wanted to give a little shout-out to the Hawaiian people. and uh, So go and teach somebody, uh, teach a little something real quick here about Hawaii, about the seven principles of what actually Hunan means. Now, I don't know how to say these, so I'm going to spell them out. I mean, I'm going to try to say them, but like, um, Ike is I-K-E, and that is that the world is what you think it is. And that translates to beware. The world is what you think it is. Just saying. Kala. 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 K-A-L-A. There are no limits. Everything is possible. Sky's limits. Uh, that means to be free. Makia. Now that's the energy flowing where attention goes. Energy flows where attention goes. Energy flows where attention goes. Where does your attention go? Where the energy flows. So if you want to do some magic, your flow of energy goes on this hand while it's really happening over here. And that's just for be focused. Do not look upon... 
what they want you to over here. Be focused on it. Manawa. Manawa is now in the moment of power. Be present. Be here. Be now. If you could only see the now, people. If you only could see the now. But it's always gone. Aloha. Okay. We, most of us know that. To love is to be happy. To be happy is to say hello. Hello. Um, mana. Um, it's all power comes from within. It's one of my favorite. And that's perfect for Leo. Be confident. Okay. Or Pono. Pono. Effectiveness is the measure of truth. And that's a be positive type. So, pretty cool. Now, I'm going to have to take a quick break here because I've got some pressing. So, I'm going to have to interrupt this. We'll come back really quickly. Okay, we're back. Um, sorry about that. We're probably going to have to cut it pretty short, but I've only got a couple more of these that I can go through, really. Um, so our other one, let's say, uh, how about the snake? Um, one of the most common words for uh, snake or serpent is naga. Naga? It's not what you think it is. A symbolic it's a symbolic expression found in Hinduism and Buddhism and Jainism, I think it was the other one, and traditionally associated with the tree of life, believe it or not. Naga literally means cobra in ancient Sanskrit. It's a 10,000-year-old dead language, people, and I can read it. But you can one day have the same if you learn cursive write and continue to write it uh, it will soon be a 10,000-year-old dead language. Um, and it refers to a group of divine and semi-divine half-serpent beings um, that reside in the underworld, of course, and uh, that occasionally they will take human form and uh, the Cambodian Kamer, um, believe that they are actual descendants of a hybrid of a unison between these snakes and the people. Okay, so serpent and man. Interesting, interesting, yes, maybe. I mean, draconians, you know, whatever. Whatever, it can't be that far off, right? Now, the great temple of um, Angkor Wat display statues and that's well in mythical naga the seven-headed serpent is a protector of buddha and a statue of, uh, of the guardian lion which you will see in the now in front of driveways or houses it's a guardian lion uh in chichen itza in mexico they have the pyramid dedicated to quasi cult i think it was um the feathered serpent god so, and that's directly where they get the medical the medical one for the caudacious I think is how it said it is the symbol of, me, of the medical profession okay uh, that first appeared in ancient Sumerian times by the god uh, yeah Ninga Zuda Buddha 
I don't know, it was something like that. Yeah. It's got to be vegetation. Not vegetarianism, people, or meat-eating people. Vegetation. Um, and it was later carried by Hermes, okay, across the sky, in Greek mythology. The center of that symbol is what we don't want anybody to find. For it is that that thing that I said that everybody's looking for. Not everybody, but the magical community. Once this is found, it is a serpent. It is not a serpent. It is a um, a wand, or if a they say it's a mis mythical wand, but it's actually a uh, scepter, and it has the twin snakes that go around it and collide around the whole like symbol. Meaning that uh, it's healing and poison and health and illness all at once. It's the so below, above, yin-yang, whatever you want to call it. But it's that scepter of which they great power comes from. Great power, such great power that it will destroy all religions. Um, Christianity portrays uh, the serpent as a wicked temptation. The Garden of Eden, um, the evil creature that tricks Eve into giving Adam a bite of the apple from the tree of knowledge. Uh, the bite cast them out of the Garden of Eden and the perception of the downfall, and that's what precipitates the downfall of humanity. Yep. That's what they say. How about a Nautilus nutshell? What do you think about that? A Nautilus nutshell. It's like a tiger lily. Um, no, it's literally a sh shell. But this shell is also the symbol of perfection and beauty because it's the best natural example of a logmorithic, logmorithic, sorry, I can't talk today, spiral that follows the golden ratio, basically. If you don't know what that is, you're way behind. It's also considered the symbol of strength, and its uh, shell can withstand pressures beyond its little thing it's i think it's 25 times its weight easily each chamber in the in the nautilus shows the fibonacci sequence as it goes through with the shape of the shell approximating the uh, phi spiral okay which is considered the most important aspect of sacred geometry it's what most of it's based on the nautilus represents the golden mean and what that is is 1.618039 that reaches into infinity. Just keeps going, 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 going. Okay, so that's where we'll uh, transition into the new one. And when I say transition, I don't mean that way kind of transition. I mean we'll slowly move right into infinity. Um, infinity originated in the Latin infinitas, and it means the unbound boundedness if i can get that out um infinitely it is the concept of endlessness or limitlessness or a lot of necessities but mostly widely uh tackled in the field of mathematics and physics um the first western european known to have written that concept of infinity was the archimedes more than i don't know 2300 years ago or whatever but the concept is far more ancient than that. Um, it is expressed in the Egyptian symbol of the Ankh and also the 
Arboros, which is that intertwined snake. Okay, so we're going to move quickly. I'm sorry about that, but I have to, uh, there's something pressing that I have to take care of, but I want to get through this. Um, because I only have the one thing that I was supposed to talk about to tie it all together, I haven't gotten to yet, so it would just be a waste. But the ohm symbol, okay, which is like a three, and then like a, you know what, I don't, can't explain that one. Ohm is a, is a Sanskrit. Uh, it's a word for the mythical, uh, and a mythical symbol that appears in all of the uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism. The sacred Ohm is composed of actually three distinct sounds. Um, an A, a, a U, and an M. So, Ohm. You see? It's not Ohm. And it's believed to have given birth to the physical universe itself. I Ohmed you right out. Okay. And, um, of course, the number three always makes its appearance in there because it's the most... The number three is, is important in Hinduism since it teaches that there are three worlds that have heaven and above, the earth and the atmosphere. So three major gods, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. And the three verdict uh, scriptures, which are the Riju, Yarju, and Sama. Um, I can't say any of those. And the Om incantation or you know saying it over and over again is a chant is chanted in meditation and at the start of the at the start of the reading and in the beginning of the reading is when this is mantra is done or prayer if you want to call it and it's the sound that many believe gave birth to life uh, maybe some big guy's farting on this this big man to see and it farted it or it uh it birthed you into existence by farting you out. Now, if you look at back in John, not John's, John's, um, Bible, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the world. No, it wasn't. It was the word. The word was the bird was the word. <laughs> the bird was the word. But no, the word was and in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And we give the bird to God. <laughs> anyway, when the ohm sound is sung um, perfectly in a somatic type pattern that emerges what's called the Siri Yantra and uh, yeah it's pretty interesting look it up so you get all those little uh, the gold Siri Yantra which is probably what you guys are used to seeing is an artwork by creative motions and it's a bunch of little like triangles this symbol is composed of like nine interlocking uh, triangles uh, that radio radiate outwards from the center um, or the what we call the bind point in this central point though this the bind point is considered the meeting place of the junction between the physical world and the spiritual world so that's where the veil that's where we can go into and a source of manifestation of 
you will. Now, the word yantra, yank your yantra, means instrument or tool or whatever. And this exactly the and this is exactly what the symbol represents. If the yantra being a powerful tool for intense meditation, prayer, concentration, whatever, it allows you to achieve a higher level of consciousness. The Siri Yantra acts as a focusing point, if you will, like uh, with the inner and outer doorway. It can be led one to commune in the different deities throughout the levels in the force center of the universe so this is how we go and travel into talk to our elders or our one our past and we're almost done people like i i have to go but uh, we couldn't do it without the pen the um, alpha and omega uh, which we pretty much a is if our alpha in omega is the horseshoe little symbol it re represents the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And they are a Christian symbol that also represents God. And as used in the book of Revelations is where it came, started with the Bible. And the phrase Alpha and Omega is actually derived from the one of the, one that quotes God as being the Alpha and the Omega. That one, that's Revelations. And that's Revelations 1 to 8, 21 to 6. 22 to 13. Yeah. It is clarified two times with an extra title, the beginning and the end. It is all the beginning. It is all the end. It is I. It is A that starts it. It is you that ends it. There's no A. Anyway. And lastly, just because I'm an ass, I'm going to leave you with the number one most influential symbol by the dark arts, we have the winner, the pentagram. The pentagram symbol is composed of five-pointed star, or five. This is what a lot of people don't know. It's not as bad as you think it is. It's composed of five straight lines that form a star. Now, that's very important that they're five straight lines. Now that goes all the way back to 3000 BC in Mesopotamia where it started, where the Sumerian pentagram is what it was called. We are said uh, said to connote that the word UB, okay, I can't say it because I can't, I don't even know how to say that, uh, which means the corner or angle, okay, the mystic meaning behind this, as we're magicians, we know, um, it's a Babylonian it was during the Babylonian times where the five-pointed star was said to refer to the planets because we are fucking, for the last time, we worship the sky from which we came. And that was Mercury, Mars, Saturn, and uh, Venus. So again, to the stars, we even our magic is done that way. Um, through centuries after that, um, the five-pointed star has been in several different religions, believe it or not. Uh, the Hebrews used the symbol to re represent the truth um, and the five books of the, uh, the Pentateuch. Pentateuch. Um, the Druids referred to the pentagram as the Godhead, actually. 
And the Christians said that the five-point star represented Christ's five wounds. Yeah, you learned it was wrong, and that's what they're saying. I'm telling you, they don't tell you everything. Now, it is an inverted pentagram. While the two points project upwards, that is the symbol of evil, and that is where everybody gets it wrong, and that's the little hugabolu. Okay? When it has, if you look at it inside, it looks like that little symbol that came from uh, Star Trek on their chest inside there. So if it's pointed up, okay, that means one thing. If it's pointed down, it means something else. Now, this is where you guys get it all confused because you don't know which one is which. So if it projects its two points upwards, those are like that means that it's a black magic thing. Yes, it's like the evil horns when people are meddling out and they're like, yeah, they throw up that symbol. It's like that. Uh, we live in a literal matrix, as we've seen before, I talked about, and it's been superimposed into our subconscious. Uh, through the language of symbols and words and, uh, yeah, basically symbols, though. Now, just to kind of leave it at this, I want to be very clear. Um, you should be very clear in your thinking as angels and demons is just a metaphor for above and below. Um, demons hear everything. Angels hear everything. Every thought is a command. The mind is a faithful servant. Don't forget these things. Now, my mother, when I was a child, um, you know how much I love her. Uh, they don't believe in that. And now I know exactly what she was talking about altogether. And that means don't think and speak things into being. Don't speak things into existence. Thoughts combined with emotions, okay, become highly charged impression. Once that happens, like I said, once it happens, it can speak things into existence. We dismiss thoughts that are not in keeping with our emotional and physical well-being. So, if that makes sense. It's all the thought process. We shall let them pass and do not claim them. Most importantly, do not let them cling to your emotional feelings. Tears of joy are just powerful tears of sorrow. No tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering, says Pinhead. Well, I have to leave it on Pinhead, so that's all I got, people. Go and find me some symbols. Make your own symbol as I have made mine. You will know who they follow by the symbol that they use. Anyway, have a good one. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.